Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Good morning from the West Coast. It is Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum. I'm an old rack, what, old, wrinkled, beat up ex-Major League Baseball player who broadcasts for the Houston Astros now, and we are on the same time zone. My good buddy co-host, David Tuttle, who has been on Team USA, played collegiate baseball at Santa Clara, went up the ranks of minor league baseball, been traded several times, some big trades, and uh, just unfortunately never got the shot to get in the big leagues, but still is a wealth of knowledge as a human being, as an ex-player, and just an all-around good dude. And uh, we have a podcast. We talk about sports. We talk about baseball mostly, obviously, because that is our expertise. And we are qualified, verified, and sanctified in baseball. So that, that's where we're at. Good one. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, I've got a little bit of a morning voice going because... I am. I have come out from Houston, and I have woken up at eight o'clock in the morning to record this podcast because David Tuttle has already been in CrossFit. He's been to the market. He's picked up pharmaceuticals for the family, and he's ready to go. What's going on, Tuttle? Blummer, that's great. Sanctified. I like it. I. Uh, I just. Uh, <laughs> I do appreciate you saying you're on West Coast time. About ten hours ago, you were on Central time, though. So that's that's essentially what we're trying to tell everybody. And so really, in my mind, it's up. what ten or eleven o'clock. So I should be awake, but I'm not. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's not how you roll. That's an age thing. <laughs> I don't mean your age. I mean that's all of us. We all struggle with that. So everything's going well, Blummer. I'm glad you were able to jump on this morning. Um, we are g- glad to be together, as Blummer said. We try to be. Uh, experts in the field of baseball. I think some people may disagree with us, but we have been fairly predictive about things that uh, have come true in terms of what we see on the landscape and how things are shaking out and what's happening. So uh, hopefully if you're a longtime Bleacher Blums listener or a newbie, you can see that uh, listening to this podcast is uh, ear candy and uh, insightful for you. So anyway, Blummer. It is is Um, delicious. Yeah, you're on the West Coast for a while here, and we need to get to coordinate our schedules because uh, I'm planning. I forgot you. You have family out here and friends, but uh, I knew you were coming in the middle of July, and this is how typical it is. Now we should start planning. I know, <laughs> to right? Out I even have a day off down in Anaheim. Oh yeah, duh. And you already have it full of stuff, I'm sure. So we'll have to figure that out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. It's no big deal. The the good thing is is that we're able to get on this podcast, enjoy it, and talk to our fans. And uh, What's on Tap is always brought to you by St. Arnold, best craft beer in Texas and the oldest craft brewery in Texas. But uh, they do a great job with some great uh, great beers that we thoroughly enjoy. Uh, It's going to be an abbreviated podcast because we're going to try and crank one out like right now. And then, of course, like Tuttle said, we're going to try and crank one out when we are uh, a little bit closer in proximity. When I do get down and the Astros are playing the Los Angeles Angels of California of Anaheim, Southern California, Orange County. Uh, But we've got big news. We didn't have a chance last podcast to talk about this. And I think it's something that is on our minds because not only are we baseball fans, we lived on the West Coast. We've played uh, in conferences on the West Coast through our college careers, but USC and UCLA are moving. They're moving to a bigger, better conference because we've talked about how poor 
I think we've talked about how poor West Coast football is compared to the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12. But now USC and UCLA have broken the seal and they are going to be moving east. And that has a, some serious ramifications, I think, in collegiate football all the way across the board. We're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of update our thoughts. Uh, the All-Star break is coming, which means that after the All-Star break, there's a trade deadline and there's going to be some teams looking to upgrade. There's going to be some teams looking to sell off some of their guys. So we'll dig into that a little bit, some of the possible trades. And, uh, you know, this is something that is very interesting to me is the minor league poverty fight. And Tuttle and I uh, probably have a unique outlook on that because we went through the system ages ago when it was uh, expected to go the way it did, and it just uh, has changed. A lot of things have changed in the society, but a lot of things have changed in baseball, and we'll touch on that a little bit. But uh, Tuttle, is there anything else that should be on the slate for us or anything you want to get started for us? No, not if it's an abbreviated podcast. I think, you know, typically, as our, our fans know, we'll get fired up about something and we'll get rambling. And uh, I think that should probably cover it. And then we can uh, we can kind of tie up any loose ends when uh, when we meet again here in uh, SoCal. All right. So we always in our podcast here recently, we have actually instituted leadoff lyrics. We're just trying to do something a little bit different to just kind of break things up and maybe get some insight into our influence as far as music is concerned. So if you go to at Real David Tuttle, follow him on Twitter, you can get at him. If you follow me at Blummer27 on Twitter, you can get at me. But we ask you to follow at Blummer or at Blummer at Bleacher Blums uh, because they give uh, that that gives you updates on the podcast. It'll give you links to the podcast. It'll give you links to YouTube to be able to watch some of the short hops when we put some brief videos up there. We had a great 4th of July video that went up on the social media for Bleacher Blums. And if you want to participate in leadoff lyrics, you can go to at Bleacher Blums and tell us who the artist is and what song we are reciting those lyrics from. And we will give you a shout out on the on a recent podcast. I think the next podcast will give shout outs for the past for the past podcast and this current podcast because we're going to do a little bit of leadoff lyrics right here. And I think, Tuttle, if you are ready, you can do the honors to start off leadoff lyrics to get this thing going. All right. Thanks, Blummer. I am ready. And um, I, anyway, I don't always need to preface this. I'm actually going to start <laughs> a new pattern here and see if this works. But I'm going to do a very short leadoff lyrics because I think, um, I don't know if I'm using more popular songs, but here we go. All right. There was a friend of mine on murder. And the judge's gavel fell, yeah. Jury found him guilty, gave him 16 years in hell. Dang. That's it. That's all you get. Little tease. Those are deep and angry, man. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. We just went Sounds dark. Sounds like Blummer's lyrics. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, seriously, dude. Where, where's lyrics. the dark filter on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna light. So if you know who if you know who that is, you got to make sure you go to at Blummer twenty at Blummer twenty seven. I can't get off myself. You got to make sure that you go to at Bleacher Blums. Tell us the artist. Tell us the song, and we'll give you a shout out right here on Bleacher Blums because we like to do that. We like to interact with our fans. And if you have any questions, you can also go to bleacherblums.com and uh, get on the mailbag and send us a, a question through there. And there's also swag on there too, uh, because Ram shirts does a great job for us making t-shirts, uh, turning some, uh, some quotes of mine into t-shirts that are a lot of fun. And, uh, you, you can find us at bleacher blums all the time or at bleacher blums on, uh, Instagram and Twitter. All right. So my leadoff lyric, 
so we're not going to preface any of this, but this is a little bit <laughs> off the beaten path for me and a little bit of an older Ooh. song, but uh, a highly enjoyable one uh, at that. So here we go. Look at me. Look at me. Hands in the air like it's good to be alive. And I'm a famous rapper. Even when the paths are all crookedy, I can show you how to do see-do. I can show you how to scratch a record. I can take apart the remote control, and I can almost put it back together. If you know who that is, make sure you go to at Bleacher Blums and tell us who that artist is and who or what that song is. That should be a pretty interesting one, but once you find that song and you enjoy it, it was I mean, you talk about ear candy. That's one that if it pops on the radio or pops in my iTunes playlist, all of a sudden it's pure joy. You can cut me off. You can you can tailgate me. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to have a blast. All it's right. Jimmy Buffett. No. I'm <laughs> yeah, seriously. As I take a sip out of my thermos in the middle of the – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's really funny. All right. Well, all right. there's leadoff lyrics, Blummer. All right. So we're going to get two guesses, I guess, next podcast. We're going to yeah. we're gonna sh- give shout-outs to two sets of people for guessing our lyrics, and uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying that. Yeah, hopefully you are. And you know what's crazy is that uh, the, the, the landscape of NCAA college football is – is amazingly crazy. We know that what do they call it? A Power Five conferences, you know, have the uh, the opportunity to compete in the playoffs and for the the college championship. And the landscape is ever changing. We know that in football, at least, you know, the I think in all sports, to be honest with you, we hit on this when we were talking about the College World Series at the SEC is the, I believe, in my opinion, is the most dominant force in collegiate sports. We saw it with uh, the College World Series. I think eventually with Texas and Oklahoma moving to the uh, SEC, I think in the next two years, uh, is really going to expand their dominance because that would have been five of the eight teams, I believe, in the College World Series would have been from the SEC. And uh, Ole Miss eventually winning the College World Series. So congrats to the Rebels for going out there and winning that. And they are an SEC team. But USC and UCLA, and this is something that Tuttle and I know just from you know growing up on the West Coast, Tuttle playing college baseball and, and being a collegiate athlete on the West Coast. I played in the pack. Well, when I was playing, it was the, there were only Pac-10 and uh, now with the Pac-12. But that's a major shift for USC and UCLA to move. And I believe, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're moving into the Big 10 or Big 12. Big 10, and the Big 10 is now going to be 16 teams. So do the math there, folks. Are they going to have to change their logo <laughs> or what? I think the Big yeah, 10 right? is now the Big 16. Yeah, but it is the Big And it 10, covers the is. entire country. So give me your thoughts on what's going on. Yeah, so I have a couple thoughts, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole at the beginning, but I may come back to that because when you bring up, like, the first thing I thought of having daughters, as you do, is Title IX. Like, you can say everything you want about having all the sports, the collegiate sports that you want, but football and basketball drive the business. They're already talking about how that's going to work. They pay the bills. And so they pay the bills, right? And we've known that. But I think it's interesting because from a logistic standpoint, if you play water polo at UCLA and you have to play water polo against Penn State, like I just think who's doing the scheduling and flying all over the country? Like It's going to be challenging. So that's neither here nor there. That's just something I want to plant the seed on. From USC and UCLA's perspective, um, I think obviously it's a good opportunity because as you mentioned, when the six pack was around and then the pack 10 six pack for baseball pack 10 
and now the Pac-12, they, you know, they needed their best team, whether it be Oregon or Stanford for a couple years um, to be up front. And, oh, man, maybe they're going to get into the playoff once they started the playoff. But the Pac-12 has really fallen off in terms of talent. And they have to have a team like Utah or Oregon or, or um, USC run the table to even be in the conversation for the football playoff. And I think now being in the uh, Big Ten, you know, that they get two teams every year. The SEC gets two teams. You know, Big Ten gets one one or two teams. Now you're in the fold every single year for a playoff spot if you are, you know, one of the better teams. And I do think to your I think this is where you were leading, their recruiting is going to get better that way too. Like, why wouldn't you come out to the West Coast? You still get to showcase yourself. You have TV rights, you have all those things. So there's a lot of ramifications financially. But I think from an um, exposure perspective, a competitive landscape, and a, um, you know, where the business is going, I mean, this, this is just going to be like the NFL or, the, uh, or Major League Baseball eventually. I mean, they're, they're, they were talking, somebody proposed this, they were talking about putting the Big Ten, I mentioned it's 16 teams, into four divisions of four. So you have like, <laughs> right? So you have the Big Ten West with USC, UCLA, and whoever else in there. Then you have the Big Ten North and the Big Ten, you know, Northeast yep. and the Big Ten South. And you just run it like that. And those four and then the top four play each other. You almost have your own playoff tournament. So I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> um, but as I already mentioned, with all the other sports, I think logistically it makes it really tangled. But you know, obviously they saw the revenue as a, as a better option. What do you think? Like, I mean, obviously Cal Berkeley is in the PAC 12, um, and they're not necessarily moving yet, but what if, oh, dude. you know, you know, what is, no. what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for all those other teams? Are they going to chase them or how's that going to work out? Okay. Th this is going to be a little bit of harsh medicine and, it, and for, for Cal, for Cal alum, if you're listening to this, or if you're a fan of the university of California, they may be gone. And I'm I'm thoroughly mentally emotionally prepared to have University of California have no sports. Mm. I don't know how many people know this. I know you know this because we've talked about it off air. Is that in 2011, Cal baseball and several other sports were axed. They were gone. You know, and we yeah. had to raise enough money to bring them back. We had to bring baseball back. And to your point with Title Nine, you know, for every every men's team, I think it was. Uh, uh, it might have been water polo, men's water polo, but for every men's team we brought back, we had to bring back two women's sports. You know, so they they cut like eight teams, <clears throat> so we had to raise eight million. Then it became ten million. Then it became twelve million. So you know, my partial ownership of Cal baseball over the years, I would is going to go by the wayside. I think that Cal is just going to figure out that they don't want baseball, they don't need baseball. I don't know how they they've 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 arranged their their. Uh, their money to be able to, to keep that that school running, but I think that they're going to become an academic institution. I think that they don't put enough emphasis on sports. They realize that the revenue isn't great enough because I think they were getting a lot of money through the Pac-12 conference itself, the Pac-12 network. So they they're just going to give up on that. That's that's my reality. I think that Cal could give two craps about sports, which is really frustrating to me because one of the unique aspects of being a student athlete for me at Cal was the fact that we actually, we went to school, we, we had to go to class and it was an academic athletic institution. But that being said, you know, what does it do for, 
you know, the Washington states and the Washingtons and what does it do for the Oregon state teams? Because you know that if US, USC and UCLA are bailing and other conferences are looking to expand, whether it be the Big 12 or the ACC uh, or some of these other conferences, why would they're going to go pluck the Oregon Ducks? That's that's a great program. That is a very good recruiting program. They've in, they've done a very good job of developing and being competitive, you know, in the top tier collegiate football league. So I think that they're going to be a commodity for, for people to go after. You know, there's going to be some Midwest conferences that would like to absorb Arizona, Colorado, Utah, like you were talking about. Utah's a very good football school. Colorado could get back to being a very good uh, football school if they start to move into those, those Midwestern time zones or some of those other conferences. That's what's crazy to me. And I think that you will see, you know, does the Big West or the Mountain West absorb these teams? What happens to Boise State? I think there's a lot of questions because once you unplug USC and UCLA, who are typically those Western powerhouse football recruiting schools out of the situation, and you start to tell a kid from Texas that you can go to USC and compete in the Big Ten, I think that's where you kind of get into the recruiting of these guys and you start to get the money and the facilities on the West Coast start to upgrade a little bit to compete. And that's where you kind of create that huge recruiting issue. But it just blows my mind that you're going to be flying cross country to have USC beat the living crap out of, out of Rutgers. How long is their contract yeah. in the Big Ten? There's some schools out there like you're talking about that I don't know, Are do they belong in there and how long can they stay in there? Right. And maybe it elevates those schools, but there's so many ramifications. That's why I brought it up with Cal Berkeley too, because you, you, USC, UCLA, tip of the iceberg. Yeah, they'll be done. Both, right? They're both well-known football and basketball schools. They're fine. They can leave. But I mean, like you said, the Pac-12 schools, like Washington State up there, at Washington, maybe they join the WCC, where I was, Santa Clara. Yeah. Like maybe, Seriously. maybe you end up saying we do want to keep athletics. Cal is a different animal because of how liberal the school is. We've already talked about, True. you know, naked man wandering campus, and you know the I don't sit in that the seat. other thing, the social activism. Uh, don't sit in that seat. I love it. The social <laughs> activism that goes there, and and as you said, the the bridges that you guys have already crossed because their football yes. is. You know, to be honest, middle of the road or bottom of the Pac-12. Their baseball is kind of middle of the Pac-12 now. They they had some you know better years, but baseball is probably the best sport. Baseball, swimming, some of those things. But the big sports, football and basketball, that pay the bills are not elevated enough at Cal, at Washington State, at those other schools to make it worth their while to keep it. So join a smaller conference and then maybe you're a powerhouse there and you're able to keep athletics and, you know, draw some talent. But I, think, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. No, I think that's a really good point because you have schools in the Pac-12 who can't compete on a larger level and bring in the revenue that a USC, UCLA do. And, but at the same time, you've got conferences that you need to compete in because, and you'll, you'll love this because, and you only know this because you live on the West Coast, but the Olympic sports that are collegiately played, guess where some of those best best uh, Olympic athletes come from? Swimming, water polo, yeah. track and field, right. some of these big sports, they're all on the West Coast. I mean, that's yeah. where I think that, you know, if I'm one of those Olympic athletes, that's where I think I'm kind of frightened. What am I going to be competing against? Am I going to be in the WCC or am I going to be able to be, you know, go with USC, UCLA and compete against some bigger schools and actually, you know, you know, craft my sport a little bit better. But I think that, you know, you have yeah. to think about those Olympic sports if you're USC, UCLA, uh, you know, uh, all the WCC schools, because that's where a lot of those Olympic athletes come from. 
Yeah, but there's other schools, like you said, like San Diego State and BYU. So there's the Big West. True. And there's, I mean, there's all these different little conferences. And I was thinking like Santa Clara, for example, is known as a soccer school, especially female soccer. They're always in the top 10. So now do they elevate and go to a different conference because that sport? And and anyway, are they gonna, so are they going to lose? But, are they, but is a school like Santa Clara going to lose those athletes to some of these bigger conferences because now it's so right. broad and so big? Yep. Yeah. And and I think you brought up the flight thing. Like the USC has to go from a football perspective to fly all the way to Rutgers to beat the crap out of them at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning, you know, and they're jet lagged and those games get closer. But I think the the interesting thing is now that most of these schools have revenue and there's charters and you know, mm-hmm. I mean, kids don't go to class enough, but I think we've seen the globalization of the world anyway. You know, I want <laughs> uh, a new phone cover. I can get it delivered to my house by the Amazon Prime tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think, I know it's a stretch of an analogy, but it's kind of the same thing. We're, we're just seeing a globalization of everything, a conglomeration and a joining of things that, hey, they, they're getting a bigger piece of the pie and we need a piece of that pie. Let's sign up and, you know, let's sign up for that. They don't care about the flights and the challenges and the cross country and all that. So anyway, so it's big news. I think the first year they're going to start competing is 2024. So, you yep. know, we only have about two years to talk about this ad nauseum to see what the ramifications are. And then as some more of the p- pieces of the puzzle come together, I think, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And as somebody said, in my lifetime, I never thought I would see like USC and UCLA leave the pack. I mean, like, I don't know if I ever laid in bed thinking, oh, they would or they wouldn't. But no. the fact that it's happened is really shocking, you know, to me. How about how about this? Isn't it the, what's really weird? There's there's a lot of things about this that are kind of interesting. But I want to there's a question I want to bring up to you, a couple of questions, because I'm not done with this. It's just some it's something that's actually dominated a lot of conversations that I've had at baseball stadiums because it's so interesting because it yes, it's because of football, but at the same time, you know, it it filters down to basketball, it filters down to baseball, some of the bigger sports. And I think that the college baseball landscape is going to change because the minor leagues have changed. But isn't it odd that Lincoln Riley bailed on Oklahoma, who's moving to the SEC, to go to USC, and now USC is going to be back in the Big Ten? I think there there was something shady going on underneath. It was kind of interesting to me. I don't know if you saw I believe in conspiracy theories, but it's just crazy to me that USC plucked Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma and said, we'll pay you to come over here, yet in two years, you're going to be right back in the Big Ten. I mean, they're... they're there's something maybe moving behind the scenes that we didn't know about. That's what's crazy that USC would spend that kind of money for a Big Ten coach, put him in the Pac-12 for a couple of years, help him recruit, and then get back to uh, mm. to the Big Ten, which is fascinating. Well, he was My in other, the Big 12. Big 12. Or Big 12, sorry. Uh, yeah, but, so now he's Big 12 to Big 10, Big 16. But, but I think yeah. your point is well taken, meaning they knew they had the revenue. And if mm-hmm. they've known that this has been a conversation behind the scenes, you don't think like Lincoln Riley was in the dark, do you? Like, oh, no. hmm, yeah, they're yeah, just that's an what I'm independent saying. school. No, that's your point, and, uh, and it's yeah. well taken. So my next question for you is, what do you? Th- how do you think this impacts the college football playoffs? Do you think it is good the way it is, or do you think it should expand? Yeah, so I kind of touched on this earlier. I mean, it's a great question. I think it's going to make 
the playoff more valuable if, like I said, if what they say is with the Big Ten, you now have 16 teams, you break them into four divisions, you have a winner of each division play each other kind of in a semifinal game and you leave this conference championship, you can either have two teams or one team come through this like gauntlet to get into the college football playoff. So I think it makes it more competitive, but I also think if you're going to leave the college playoff at four teams, you're definitely going to have tried and true tested teams get into that playoff, right? Because if you're going to have yeah. the SEC has 16 teams, more. the Big Ten has 16 teams, if the Big 12 has 12 teams, they're going to get a team into the playoff every single year because you know they're going to be the better team. Yeah, absolutely. Because they've been tested. Absolutely. You said this with Ole Miss. Was Ole Miss the best baseball team all year long? No, they weren't. But guess what? They played in the SEC and they got their stuff together. We've seen this, right? So people hate that. They're like, you're going to put a two-loss Ohio State in the playoff? And you're like, yep. And you watch them boat race like a you know, a 17-0 Boise State, and you're like, they crushed them by 40. I mean, these are going to be the best teams. You're not going to have undefeated teams probably, but do you want Nick Saban's 12-1 Alabama playing Georgia, or do you want a 15-0 team that has, you know, like Cincinnati in there? And I think we've seen it, and it's been proven out over the time that you're going to want... So so I think that... I don't know if the playoff will expand. We'll have to wait and see on that. Yep. But but if you don't expand it, you're going to see these teams coming out already kind of having played a playoff in their in I their couldn't agree more because I know that revenue-wise, you're going to try and expand, and it encourages fan bases to cheer. But at the same time, I am 100% with you in the sense that I think expanding it will only dilute the product, and you're going to get those blowout games if you expand to six, eight teams in those first couple yeah. of rounds. Because I'm with Tuttle. I think that the conference championship, if you, ha- if you have little mini tournaments or – you know, if you can if you can create you know these division rivalries within your conference and then have them play their way through that gauntlet to become the champion of your right. conference, that's where I think the entertainment value you know retains itself, and you don't need the playoff because they'll be beating the hell out of each other inside these conferences, these mega conferences. And I do believe if you do have it that way, you will find the cream of the crop and put those four teams into the college football playoff, and you'll have even better competition. Because I'm with you. I'm taking a one or two loss Ohio State, Alabama over an undefeated Cincinnati or an undefeated, you know, uh, even an undefeated West Coast team. You know, I want to see the only one I would think about would be like an Oregon Ducks that was undefeated that I think might be able to compete with a one or two loss SEC team. But uh, I'm with you in the sense that was a really good one. How about how about this? My last question and probably the last topic we talk about as far as the college football thing is because everybody's going, talk Astros, man, talk about baseball. But Notre Dame. What Notre Dame is going to have to join a conference. That's what's going to be a trip to me is they're going to have to join a conference because they can't be independent with all of these mega conferences building up. I don't know enough about that. I mean, I, I got to think they're like, I mean, they're the first college, you know, that has an NBC network kind of under their thumb, right? That's what the Yankees did. They did the Yes mm-hmm. Network and all of a sudden they had revenue. That's the one, to your point, that'll be the most interesting to see how they navigate this because their revenue, I mean, it may go up if they're still kind of like playing the highest bidder. Maybe they play, you know, a Pac-12 Oregon, and then they can play a Big Ten USC and Penn State and Ohio State, and then they can play in the ACC and play Clemson and Virginia Tech. Like, you know, they may be able to get a strong schedule that way, but I, I agree with you. I think 
ultimately, if they see the money that's you know being paid out to these super conferences and they want to get recruits and they want to be competitive, they'll probably have to join a conference. I wanted to say one thing about what you said about the playoff. Could you imagine when you said it, it made me think like you could have Ohio State playing USC. Uh, you could have Penn State playing UCLA. You could have these like four, like I said, the, just to get into the playoff. And we saw yep. it last year where uh, Georgia was undefeated. Alabama was un, uh, had a one loss. Alabama boat raced Georgia and ju- for the uh, SEC title game. And then they both got into the playoff. And then Georgia wins the national championship. And you're like, oh, all right. So that's what we're going to just see more of that, right? I mean, there's the template. We saw it last year. Alabama beat Georgia, gave them their first loss. Two weeks later, three weeks later, a month later, they play. Georgia wins, and Georgia, you know, goes down as having one of the best defenses in the history of college football. And I think, like you said, uh, we're not talking parity here. The parity is going to be between two conferences, mm-hmm. the SEC and the Big Ten. So. No, I completely agree. There's another school out there, Stanford. Where you know who's going to absorb them? Because I think that Notre Dame has created those rivalries with USC, Stanford. Where I think that that Big Ten even expands to the point where they try and absorb them and create those 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 kind of rivalries because you need to maintain those in order to keep your fan bases and your alumni going. But uh, we're gonna we're we're done with football. Here we go. You can you can dial it back. We're gonna take a bit of a break for a sponsor, and we're gonna come back. And I've got uh, I'm I'm gonna put Tuttle on the spot because uh, his NorCal team isn't doing so well. All right, stay tuned. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Bleacher Blums podcast. Of course, we appreciate the Blue Wire Podcast Network hooking us up, getting into sponsors, and allowing us the opportunity to continue to come out here and podcast and make just tens of ones and of dollars. So, Tuttle, the trade deadline is coming up. It's changed a little bit. It's August 2nd, but there's only one trade deadline. There's no waiver wire, so you have August 2nd coming up. But I wanted to ask you about your Giants. They were highly competitive last season, what, 107 wins in second place or something crazy like that. Uh, this season, they were competing with the Padres and Dodgers in the West Coast, but things have kind of fallen off a little bit. What is going on in the Bay Area, man? 
Yeah, it's a fair question. I, I didn't expect them to, you know, win 107 games this year. Obviously, winning the National League West last year, finally get knocking the Dodgers off the top until the Dodgers beat him in a playoff series um, was extraordinary. And I think, you know, you have chemistry, and we've talked about this extensively on the podcast, chemistry, team leadership, things like that. So Brandon Belt's been hurt. Buster Posey retired. I said that that was going to be the big chess piece. I know you still have Brandon Crawford there, but, you know, you kind of some you don't kind of sort of need, you always need a clubhouse leader and you need somebody <laughs> driving it. And I, and I've said this before and I'm not trying to be too critical, but I do think, um, the unwritten rules of baseball, the way baseball has, um, been successful in the past, you can't throw all of that stuff out. And you start reading articles about Gabe Kapler, um, who struggled a little bit when he was managing in Philadelphia, um, had a decent year. And I know that the, uh, GM of the Giants, uh, or the president, um, uh, Farhadi, is that right? Farhadi? Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. Anyway, he, uh, he likes, um, he likes Gabe a lot, but sometimes you read these articles about, you know, stealing second base when you're up nine runs and, you know, doing these things that are kind of like, Hey, well, the game's not over till it's over. And anyway, you just wonder if some of the spiritual and the ethereal and the, you know, these, these other ways of thinking. <laughs> you're trying override. so hard to be polite, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, if they don't override what you're actually supposed to be doing. And and I mean yes. that sincerely. This is, I mean, we can all look in the mirror and be critical. I mean, maybe he's thinking the same thing. So mm -hmm. I just think that you well, kind of caught lightning. Is it, in, is it for Kapler? Is he, is because last year he caught lightning in a bottle. He has, he has a good team. I think he right. has a good team. That's Logan Webb's a great in a bottle, pitcher. Sure, yeah. And yep. uh, the bullpen, I think those bullpen, you know, Rogers is really good. He's got a couple of flamethrowers out of that bullpen. Oh. But at what point, when you're trying to lead, when you're trying to lead, at what point are you trying to be so different that that it impacts, you know, your clubhouse a little bit where you start to, I don't know. It, I mean, if you're in that clubhouse and things are so extreme, do you start to question management? You know, I mean, are you able to, because being a leader, I think, is trying to envelop everybody in the same idea moving forward. You know, and obviously winning, winning kind of, kind of mask a lot of issues that you have in the clubhouse. Are those issues being exposed maybe a little bit now, or you know what? You know, is that what's going on, or is that what you're trying to hint at? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. So I think they caught lightning in a bottle last year. They lost Buster Posey, which is a clubhouse leader and an impact. Chris player. Bryant left. You tell, right? You tell me in that lineup as a pitcher, who are you afraid to face? And I'm there like, I'm standing the on question, the mound. Yeah. Yep, and I think that's the biggest hole in their game, to be honest with you. It's not Gabe saying, oh, well, I got to do this better and that better. I think because he proved last year that he could get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. Good. Yep. Uh, with a more formidable lineup, I think he could do it again. So I guess it wasn't about being cautious about how to say it. I think there's a combination of these things. Losing a clubhouse leader, um, doing things a little bit differently really when you don't really have... I mean, look at the lineup that the Astros throw out there, you know, and you can go, Jeez. you know, Brantley and Bregman and Jordan. Obviously, Jordan's one of the best. Gurriel's hitting like 225 or something, but do you want to face Gurriel with men on second and third in the seventh <laughs> inning? Like the way he, you know, inside out swings and all that stuff. Like, you know, that lineup mm -hmm. is pretty formidable. I can't think of the Giants lineup and go through there and you have like Huff in there and they traded, you know, this guy and Bryant's gone. And, you know, you're like, who, who's the guy? Like, who's the guy that you're afraid to face? Yeah. They without don't have that guy. That, that you, you lose right. that guy. Yeah. 
Right. Longoria, you're afraid to face Longoria. His, you know, he's getting old. His bat's a little slower. Brandon mm-hmm. Crawford is clutch, but it's like, eh. I mean, there isn't that guy. Like, if Jordan Alvarez comes up and the game's on the line, you're going to intentionally Ooh. walk him or you're just hoping that he hits it at somebody. You do not yeah. have that guy in the Giants lineup. And then you add on top of that, they're playing, you know, we argued about this last time, American League East, National League West, two best divisions in baseball. You know, if you're the yep. Dodgers or the Padres, I mean, they're winning all the time. I mean, so they're they're looking in their rearview mirror at the at, you know the Giants are looking up this mountain, and so mm-hmm. maybe they're playing okay. They're above 500. They're what 41 and 39 or something. It's like yeah. they're not playing horrible, but they don't have the lineup to get it done. What yeah, do they don't you have think the juice from to afar? Push and pass, yeah, yeah. I mean, who's their guy in the lineup? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's Brandon Crawford yeah. for one. I mean, that those are the other yeah. guys. And the sad thing, you know, yeah, Stremski's turning things around. Uh, he's a top of the lineup type guy. But you know, in these lineups where you're you're putting your best players in the one, two, three spot, you know, you don't have the the value of a Jordan or a Jeremy Payne yet. You know, some of these guys. I was talking to Steve Sparks on the plane coming over. And the trade deadline is something that always pops up. Every team that is in contention, and of course, this season with the the expanded playoffs, you've got twelve teams going, so you've got your division winners, you know, in the East, West, and uh, Central, and then you have three wild cards, and that's where it kind of, you know, that's where you kind of get cut caught in in between. Going, do we do we go out and get somebody to try and thrust us into that wild card position because you know the west is already being won do the mariners go find somebody that can put them into that wild card playoff uh, situation you know and i think that's where the giants could be too do they have do they have enough firepower to put them into a wild card situation because you've got the padres and dodgers you know rattling off wins every day and that's where i think as a gm you're looking at your team going i've got to go position by position is there something out there that would give me an upgrade that I can afford to go get? And then you need to look at your rotation. Is my rotation deep enough? Is there something out there I can afford to go upgrade my, you know, my two, three uh, position in my rotation? And then, the, and then the bullpen, you know, what's my weakest spot in the bullpen? Can I go out and get an upgrade? And I think that's where we're at. Cause you know, you look at the giants, like you said, and they have a lineup where you have a couple of spots where you can get to pockets of that lineup and say, okay, I can pitch through this. Even if I don't pitch to a Brandon belt, if he's healthy or a Brandon Crawford or a Yastrzemski, there's six other guys that I could run through. You can't do that against the Astros. And I think that, you know, if you're asking an Astros fan right now, what could they upgrade? And you look at the lineup, you maybe mentioned a guy, Yuli Gurriel. Can you upgrade there? I don't know. You know, you, you, I think that there's not a first baseman out there to go get, but if you could find a guy who could maybe move a position and play a, a relatively decent first base, not screw up the continuity in the clubhouse and go out there and contribute offensively, then you go find that guy. Is it, uh, you know, is it a backup catcher? Is it, is it a bullpen guy? But I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of consternation for GMs not wanting to give up those young guys to get that guy that's going to put them over the hump maybe. But, uh, you know, as a GM, what, how do you feel about that? Are you in, in on the young guys or are you in on trading them to go, to go get that one guy that will put you over the hump and make your team that much better to compete? for a division or a playoff spot? Well, I have two things. Uh, w- one is what you said is is right, meaning so let's go back to the Giants question, whether they have the, the, the firepower or not. What you said, it's not about whether you can do it or not. I think, so you mentioned I went to CrossFit this morning. It's so funny. If you're in a race, you'd rather be in a race like the National League West, meaning if you can stay two games from the Padres 
or three games from the Dodgers, depending on that first. And you can just say, uh, we're looking up at them, but if we stay close to them, you have a much better chance of getting the wild card. Whereas like True. if you're second place in the Astros division, you're the Angels or the Mariners, <laughs> to your point, and you're already 16 games back and you're going, all right, yeah. like the wild card should come out of those stronger divisions. And so I don't think all is lost for the Giants. If they look up and they can just keep – you know, last night they lost one nothing to the Padres. You know, Logan Webb threw a complete game, lost, right? You know, one nothing. It's like, right. But if you lose games like that, you can live with that. You're like, all right, mm-hmm. we're going to keep, you know, it was Musgrove versus Webb. You're going to lose games like Damn. that, one nothing or, you know, flip it the other way. So yep. just keep your eye on the prize and stay close. That's one thing. Now, back to your question about, I mean, Corey Lee came up, right? Got a couple pinch hits. Mm-hmm. Now, do you want Corey Lee as Castro's out with his knee injury? Do you want Corey Lee to be your guy into the playoffs and he'll learn from um, Machete, you know, Maldonado? Yep. Or do you want a guy with experience that you can bring off the bench and, you know, uh, like you guys had with the Astros, the guy that went to the Braves, I always forget his name, but he was like the clubhouse leader and he was the backup, the catcher, uh, left-handed hitter. Gosh darn it. I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. No, the Braves guy. Remember McCann. So oh, yeah, McCann, Brian McCann, remember, yeah. He, right, so McCann ended up being this like clubhouse leader even as he got older. Like, Would mm-hmm. you rather have a Corey Lee or a Brian McCann? I know that's not a real – it's a hypothetical No, but it's a question, way, yeah. But, but it's a question, and I think you know Corey Lee's brother was on the broadcast the other day, and I thought yeah. that was really interesting, talking about – like, look, this is what we say about golfers, too. You've done this. You've prepared the right way. You now have to trust everything you've done to get there. You need to be learning every day. Learn from Maldonado. Learn from these guys. But by the time the playoffs roll around, if he's the future of your franchise and he's a guy who's learning and you can see the aptitude and he fits in well with the clubhouse, maybe you keep a guy like that. And these are the kind of conversations that GMs need to be having. What like, what do you think? And you know, maybe that's more of a two of a direct too direct of a question to ask about Corey Lee, but like those are the questions these teams are asking. I mean, is Guriel, yeah. like you brought him up, is he somebody they're trying to move, you think? I I mean, I don't think so. I don't think they're trying to move him, no. But you right. know, it, it but it can't but if you if you find somebody that can be an upgrade or platoon at first base, then Yuli becomes a very good bat off the bench. And he's also a good continuity clubhouse guy. And you know, that's where I get kind of stuck in the in the trade idea because GMs these days can sit in front of a computer and just crank out algorithms and just, you know, you can manipulate the numbers to say, oh, this is our guy. We've got the people to go get him. Let's go get him. He's going to be great. He could be a total prick in the clubhouse, yeah. you know, and all of a sudden your clubhouse implodes and you're going, what happened to us, man? On on a sheet of paper, we looked great. But all of a sudden, you you know, you crap on Yuli. You put him on the bench, and the guys in the clubhouse are going. And now he's, and now he's sore about it. And now everybody in the clubhouse is going, "Man, I wish Yuli was playing more. I, 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 you know, I wish Yuli was over there at first base picking the throws that I had, even though he wasn't doing all that great offensively. But I still think Yuli's got plenty in the tank. But th- those are the questions you have to ask, and that's where I get as a GM, and probably why I'm not a GM. Uh, we talk about it in our fantasy football league, where you know, don't be emo- or the best year that we had together is when we didn't get emotional. We picked positions and players, and that was it we didn't even think about emotion and i you know that's where as a gm i think i'd be like oh man i'd be down there grilling all those guys should i get this guy am i gonna ruin the clubhouse you know because that would be the last thing i want to do is upset that apple cart and have those guys all of a sudden rage against me and not play as well as they can because they're so upset emotionally but uh, i do think that if you do have a team that is good enough 
and they realize that there is an upgrade. And I think that's where t- you can really keep the continuity of a clubhouse is when, as a GM, you recognize you've got a good team, but you you go out and you get a guy that is premier. You go out and you say, you guys are good enough, and I think you're good enough. That's why I went out there and I got you know, this 1A guy then brought him over here and we're going to go out and we're going to throttle this thing down and take off and we're going to kick the living crap out of everybody. That's the only way I think you kind of keep the clubhouse morale up is not by making lateral moves or a move because you feel like you need to. It's when you go out there and you get that premier dude, like when the Astros went and got Verlander, when they go and get a Brian McCann, uh, when they go get a... Um, Zach Granke. I mean, these are upgrades and your team goes, damn. I mean, he thinks enough of us to go get these guys. Let's go. That's where I think as a GM, you've got to start thinking. Isn't it funny? I think there are certain players you could go get without worrying about the numbers or yep. the clubhouse chemistry. There, that, That's You're right. right. We, t- we, you just mentioned fantasy football where we tier, like this is the first tier of running backs and then the second <laughs> yeah. tier. If you're in the first tier and you're able to get a guy like Juan Soto, who's got, yeah, his leg is injured Ooh. or, you know, whatever, but he's not. Yeah, it's like you just bring the guy in and it doesn't flip and matter. You know, it doesn't matter whether he's a nice guy you're or right. it's like we, they, you know, Trey Turner's a guy who stands out for me. The Dodgers went and got basically one of the top 10 players in the National League, like <laughs> they payroll had or a not. Good and they had, <laughs> right. And they and they had Corey Seager at the time. You're absolutely right. And they just knew That's that he point. was going to be up for free agency. And they're like, you know what? And nobody said, well, we already have a Turner on our team. We don't need another one. It was like, dude, Trey Turner, you're a Dodger. <laughs> Mookie Betts, you're a Red Sox, you're a Dodger. A and now look point. at the team. Like the chemistry is pretty damn good, you think, because they surrounded themselves with really good baseball players. And I think, yeah, that's the overthink, underthink. And maybe that's why, you know, maybe with practice, we would be a good GM. But I think, you know, good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. And some of these guys that have been doing it, like a Mike Rizzo or, you know, um, I mentioned Farhadi. Like these guys just, they've been doing it long enough. They have thick skin. They're going to pull the trigger. And, you know, if if they're given a long leash or a long rope, They'll live with the results. So Yeah, and I think that's a good preface to kind of help fans understand what might be going through a GM's mind and where you're at. I think it's also good to understand that there are 12 teams, so there will be opportunities for some of maybe, you know, those teams that aren't going to win the division to go make a move and make a splash and go get maybe somebody that will make them better and push them into that playoff situation. And, uh, you know, it's just a good place to be. So we've set the foundation for the trade. Now, usually when trades go down, you see minor league names, prospects. Those guys are always involved. But the the minor league system is is in flux right now. Why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of what you wanted to talk about as far as that minor league poverty fight? Why is it so hard for me to say that? Minor league poverty fight. (laughs) Yeah, we can end the podcast on – yeah, go ahead. No, I just – because I think that – I'm curious to hear what you have to say and how you feel about it because – for me, the minor leagues, I understood that I wasn't going to make anything, but it was the the potential for the dream that kept me fighting through the lack of money in, in the minor leagues. But go ahead and tell us. No, no, no. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's the issue. I just can't believe – I mean, I've been out of the game now longer than I played. And, you know, you played mm-hmm. 14 years in the big leagues with a couple years in the minor leagues. I played nine years. I mean – 
without ever making it to the big leagues, I think that's a pretty good accomplishment in itself in terms of longevity. And I did the same thing. I always felt like this is the year, like this is the next year. And so I worked in the off season. I saved money. You know, you live with like four or five dudes or you move back in with your parents. Like you figure out a way to make it work because it is the dream. But now as you start hearing these numbers and, you know, you have different people kind of coming to the forefront, I think Mark Apple um, who finally made it back to the big leagues is was Dude, talking you're killing about me. the minor league. Mark Appel. Why? Stanford guy? Oh, App- Appel. <laughs> I thought it was Apple. No, uh, Mark Appel. Lapel. I said that last time too. <laughs> I don't Love know it. I think the it's guy. Great. I've never heard anybody say his name. Appel. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Mark Appel. If you listen <laughs> Mark to our Apple. podcast, I apologize. Yeah. His dad's anyway. Johnny Appleseed. Oh, there you go. Johnny Appel, I guess, apparently. Johnny Appelseed. Appelseed. Oh, yeah, I can work go. on it. <laughs> All right. Good. We're cracking each other up. We got it. <laughs> that was such a good dad joke right there. Yeah. So Appel there we go. Seed. Appelseed. Yeah. So anyway, but I think you get the point, which is like yeah. these guys were talking about like what they were making. And I, you know, I read an article in Bloomberg and I was like, this is appalling when you start thinking about. They haven't had a raise. I mean, you know, we've talked about before, but our first, my rookie ball contract, which I ended up going to low A, I think, was $850 a month before taxes. Yeah, your scholarship check was more than that. Oh, yeah, big time. But you're looking at $850 a month for the five and a half months that you play or the six months. They don't pay you in spring training. Free room and board, you know, stay at the (laughs) Holiday Inn with a grouchy roommate who wants to make the big leagues too. So... Anyway, it's it's interesting, but uh, but anyways, to your point, there hasn't been any like movement forward. I think one of the things they did to create more money in the minor leagues was they got rid of all those teams during COVID. Yeah. So let's cut the amount of teams. So let's there's less jobs, right? So that's a that's a revenue stream for them in general. Yeah, but reinvest the money in the players. Exactly, and and then this is the funny thing. This is where. This is where now being out of the game long enough and working in the real world, and you've seen this with you know AT and T Sportsnet and actually having a real job is like you, like if you support your um, your employees and you support the staff and give them good health care and tell them they're doing a great job on occasion, like send them an email. Uh, and say, hey, you're doing a really good job. I really appreciated the project that you did. Or, hey, last night's broadcast, Blummer, man, you get, you and TK were fantastic. Like, you, now you're fostering this goodwill instead of like, you know, that's how I felt in the minor leagues. Like, after mm-hmm. a while, I felt like I was playing in spite of everybody. And I yes. just had to do it on my own. And I'm going to take my $900 and, you know, you can wipe your ass with your $900. I'm going to friggin' make it anyway. And then you're going to pay me. And you get this like animosity and then your roommate's bitter or your roommate's paying for just playing for himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, so back to the original point, I just think that the minor leaguers do need to be paid more, um, at least a living wage. And I think that's what the Bloomberg article, when you start doing the math over 12 months, I mean, Mm -hmm. these guys are making much less than minimum wage. Um, and you know, it's funny that we talk about working conditions like overseas or anything like (laughs) it's right here in America. You know, we have professional athletes making less than minimum wage. It doesn't make it. I mean, the G league basketball guys are making good money. I mean, you know, now with NIL, you can make more money in college. And I think we're going to see this. We talked about the sec, right? I'm the closer at Arkansas. This is the issue. 
Right. So I'm not signing to play professionally. You know what the scouts say? And you know this, you've heard this, and I still talk mm -hmm. to scouts on occasion. They'll say, son, where are you going to get better coaching? In the Yankees organization or at college? And now you saw the Minnesota Twins pitching coach T leave Minnesota for it. LSU, right? For, so where are you going to get? Well, I think at LSU, I'm going to get better pitching coach at LSU. Um, we've talked about um, the hitting coach at Texas is friggin' uh, Troy Tulowitzki. Troy Tulowitzki. Guess so who, you guess have, who you UT know. just hired as their pitching coach? Woody Williams, ex-big league pitcher. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So you got, yeah, right. Woody Williams, Troy Tulowitzki, the Minnesota Twins pitching coach, now at LSU. So they can't use that argument anymore. And now those kids are going to come out and be ready and pay, basically spend a year in the minor leagues and be ready for the big leagues. And I think that's a long, rambling way to get to. They need no. to pay those guys more. They need to treat them like professionals so that they can train in the offseason, perfect their craft, learn from the best. And get to the goal that they want, you know, that that they want to get them to, right? Because if the if the organizations are sincere, meaning we just want the best players, the cream to rise to the top, give them all kind of a level playing field to do so, right? Don't yes. have you know me ride fourteen hours on a bus from Medicine Hat to friggin' you know Biloxi, and then have me get on the mound and throw four innings after I've been sleeping on my arm in a non air conditioned bus for fourteen hours versus yeah. after you just left a school that has a private charter that sent me to Omaha. Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't make any sense, and so we've got to get that squared away. And this is not a like political statement. This isn't something like you know no, no. that there aren't other issues in the world. But it's certainly something they have to get uh, straight. No, out. it's within our so, industry. And you played in the minor leagues, you know. Yeah. No, I had to work off-season jobs. You know, I would have much rather have gone to a massage therapist or worked on stretching or had a a workout guru that was going to make me better and enhance my career and maybe speed up my clock and get me to the big leagues quicker. But I didn't have that because I was making, like you said, I was making less than my scholarship check in the first, you know, four years of minor league baseball. So I went home, worked out, and had a job. You know, and then, like you said, I, I was one of those guys who eventually couldn't afford it and moved back home until I made it to the big leagues. And fortunately, and fortunately, things worked out the way they did. But at the time, that was my mindset. Um, it, it, you know, it was an extra gear I had to have in the offseason. But I think minor league baseball has to find a way to compete with colleges. Because like Tuttle just said, college, it's amazing to think that colleges are poaching big league coaches to come to college and that they can actually pay them three times as much to go coach in the collegiate ranks. Now think about it. If I'm a big league coach, I've toiled in the minor leagues. I get my big league job. I'm making, you know, 250 to $300,000, but I'm working from noon to midnight every single day. I'm dealing with attitudes. I'm dealing with millionaires. I'm traveling all over the country to play these games. And then all of a sudden, this college comes at me and goes, hey, I'll give you 750 grand to, to plant your family in one city for three years. Let your kids grow up and become a part of the community. All you got to do is go out and recruit, travel around maybe a couple months, three months out of the year for your collegiate league, and then go to Omaha if you guys are good enough. Are you kidding me? Dude, I would yeah. take that in a heartbeat. The benefits are out yeah. the wazoo too because you're on campus and they can take care of you. Now, if I'm a collegiate athlete or I'm an 18-year-old, you better be offering me four or five million dollars to go to play a minor league baseball because I can go get a full ride to go to you know Texas A&M or University of Arkansas, have state-of-the-art technology that, that, that there's not an A-ball, double-A, triple-A team that can rival the technology and resources that a 
that a Division One SEC team can. I'm going to be coddled. I'm going to be. I'm going to be bathed in just generosity. I'm going to have free clothes. I'm going to have the best baseball. You know, we talked about our our collegiate careers competitively were uh, resembled Double A baseball. So now you're going to up that with everybody leaving the minor leagues and going to play uh, college baseball. Man, college baseball has figured it out. I think they're in a good position to have really good talent, and I think the future of uh, college baseball is really good. And I think that Major League Baseball is going to fi- has to find. Find a way to make minor league baseball more appealing to these guys. I'm not saying take away the buses and put them on planes, but I'm saying to Tuttle's point, maybe not paying them six months out of the year, pay them 12, give them a yearly salary. Cause that's what happens when you get to the big leagues is you get that paycheck over, you know, six months, which is a great deal of money, but pay them over 12 months and give them incentive to become a better ball player in the off season. Yeah. Because that's ultimately what they want. They want the best players in the it's an investment. And I think that Yep, and I think it brings it full circle. We started with USC, UCLA moving to the Big Ten. We're talking a lot of you know collegiate overlap with professional sports, and I think that uh, mm-hmm. and I think that we're going to see that the major league sports, regardless football, baseball, uh, even basketball, are going to have to step their game up because the resources in college are getting more. Um, uh, lucrative and more, uh, the coffers are getting full. <laughs> and so uh-huh. they're going to have more resources for all these guys to, uh, to make choices. And, you know, as we saw with the live golf tour and the PGA tour, like, you know, money talks. And so it's going to mm-hmm. be an interesting, you know, landscape to see how it progresses. But, uh, I think that'll do it for us. I think you got to go meet, co- uh, meet someone for coffee. And, um, as always on the Bleacher Blums podcast, you can get at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter, myself at Real David Tuttle. We really appreciate you guys listening to the Bleacher Blums podcast. If you want to see our ugly mugs, you can get on uh, the Bleacher Blums <laughs> Short Hops channel. Mark Ramos tries to make us look good, but there's only so much he can do uh, on YouTube. And uh, we want to give a shout out to the military first responders. Uh, we just hit Independence Day, so everyone made it back on the podcast. We didn't talk about that with the mortar rounds and the fireworks. Um, yeah, with all our digits still here. <laughs> um, but anyway, we want to thank uh, military first responders, healthcare workers, teachers who are enjoying their summer off, um, everybody that uh, gives us Uh, the freedom to do what we like to do, which is be on the podcast with you guys. So please don't forget to uh, guess at our leadoff lyrics. They're not too complicated. Try not to cheat. Um, If you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And Blummer, what do you got? You better get after it. Most of all, believe it. Yes, stupid technology that allows us to come at all these people stupid, from across the stupid. land i hate this technology uh three two